So those are the two big things I see. People staying stuck where they're not happy and people identifying too strongly with the I live to work mentality rather than as much as I love my work, I work so I can live this other life outside of work. Welcome back to Chat with Leaders, where we amplify the voices of leaders who use business and influence as a force for good. We believe that it's their example that will have a tremendous impact on our next generation of servant leaders who will carry us forward into our bright, sustainable future. Today, I welcome back to the show my friend Clancy Clark, who recently authored the book, Love Your Work, Live Your Dream, where he answers a really big question. What is the most important thing in my life? And knowing that, how do I go about creating a life that I enjoy every day? I chat with Clancy about his personal story, how people can begin this journey to fulfillment, and some of the questions they can ask themselves to find their own answers and how that can lead to a more fulfilling reality. As always, I like to meet with my guests wherever they are, and Clancy's coming to us from a beautiful part of Colorado. We had just a couple internet glitches, which seemed to be uh, not that big of a deal, but you'll notice a couple of them throughout the conversation, uh, but I really hope that you walk away from it with as much wisdom and energy as I did. Enjoy. What do you wish everybody understood about finding purpose and fulfillment in their careers? You know, Jeff, I wish everyone understood that it's possible for everyone. I think a lot of people feel like they're so far away that this is as good as it's ever going to get for me and sort of resign to well, you know, I guess this is all that's available to me. And it's just not true. There are things each of us can do every single day to be on our way to living the life of our dreams, to understand what that is, and to empower ourselves, you know, to move toward that big waypoint. Where did this idea of purpose, fulfillment, and leading by serving others, where did that all kind of stem from? Where did you discover that as your, your passion in your life? Well, in the book, it's called My Moment of Revelation, and it recants the story. I don't want to do a spoiler alert here, but it recants the story of some events that happened in the profound. And based on those events, I decided then and there that I would, for the rest of my days, follow my callings, my intuition, spiritual guidance, call it what you want. It doesn't change what it is. But to me, I call it intuition. And it's the first time in my life, Jeff, that I felt like I had purpose. I was bouncing around, trying to please my father, trying to fit into societal standards of what my life should be. And I finally, um, as I say in the book, my soul just finally cried freedom. And I decided right then and there, I would march to my own drum with no concern about how it was going to work out or what anybody would think of it. And it's led me to the most amazing, adventurous life. Um, following those intuitions in face of a lot of people saying, are you crazy leaving this behind to go do that or whatever? But I, you know, that that's become unimportant to me. And I think that's a key is to be able to break free of that. And when I did, it, it really was a moment of revelation. Again, I would say to the reader or to anyone, do what makes sense to you. That's your, that's your calling what that inner voice is saying. And so many people discount it because it's their own and they doubt it. But to me, that is wise counsel indeed, that voice inside, that intuition, that calling. And that's a huge part of my mission, Jeff, is to help people to follow those callings, live that life on purpose. 
you talked about the tension that you had with your dad and, and living life for the approval of others. I think one of the things that I've learned is that life, one of the secrets to life is giving less attention to that, giving less attention to that tension of trying to please others, trying to compare yourselves to others, do what you think the quote unquote American dream might look like as a leader or as just an individual. Uh, how can living a life for approval of others, such as the story of your dad, how do you see that playing out in society today from your vantage point? I, I just think far too many people try to play by the rules, by society's rules and fit in and do the things that we're quote, supposed to do. Now, I'm not saying you should be, you know, break laws or, or anything like that. Be a rule transcender. Follow the rules when they make sense, but then if they don't make sense to you, transcend those. If you have to abide by them because of your work situation or because of a law or whatever, of course, do that well, but then you can transcend that and go beyond to your own callings. So I, I just think that it's ingrained in our society to large part that uh, we, we tend to raise our children often. Well, this is what you do. And, you know, all the rules that we've all heard them, memorized them, and most of us are practicing them, you know, go to school, get good grades, stay out of trouble, get married, have 2.5 children, save your money, go to a few cocktail parties, you know, work until you're 65, retire, golf, and, and nothing wrong with that. For some people that may be their calling, but for many others, you know, maybe they want to be a river rafting guide, or maybe they want to be an opera singer, or maybe they want to have an ice cream shop, uh, you know, or whatever it is. And I think far too many people don't pay attention to those dreams and honor them and take steps, bold steps. And I, I, that's my mission is to help people following those callings incredible life-giving mission that you provide to others. And I've seen it in action and it's, it's incredible. And I appreciate you relating that to your own personal story of getting past that tension with your dad too, and how that kind of awakened you to this sense of freedom, which you spoke about before. So how did your story of becoming a sheep herder help you discover this truth in your life? The irony of the thing with my father, um, and I think it's common with so many people, I've had a lot of people already say, man, your part about wanting to make daddy proud really resonated with me. I was miserable, yet outwardly rebellious, butting heads with my dad, but yet inside still wanting to make him proud. The irony of that is, Jeff, when I broke and went on my own way, where he could offer no assistance whatsoever. And I left college and became a sheep herder and then developed a whole series of careers in agribusiness uh, that flowed out of that. He became far more proud of me when I let go of trying to make him proud. And that's the irony in it. And we became very close before he passed. And he saw that I made progress on my own and that I was what I was doing made sense to me. Finally, after he got over the shock of me dropping out of college uh, after he'd funded my bouncing around activities for a while, um, came to be very proud of what I had accomplished and saw that I had found my own way in this world. And, and so, you know, that was for me the liberation. And I said, never again, no matter who it is, am I going to try and live in a way seeking the approval of others? Not that I go out of my way to offend others, not, not at all. And to me, that's the morality in the universe is everyone has the right to live their life as they choose to live it, as long as they don't interfere with someone else's right to do the same. 
And that's the way I try and live. But I live what makes sense to me. And it's almost amusing to watch people's reactions. Some people just think it's awesome and other people just think I'm crazy, but I don't live my life based on what other people think. And I think that is a very important arrival point if someone wants to be completely fulfilled and self-actualized. I couldn't agree with you more. And particularly getting into the field of podcasting, content creation, putting yourself out there, you're, you're constantly in your own head at the very beginning of thinking, well, how are other people perceiving this? And, you know, am I doing something that matters? Is it important? But in the end, you realize that if you're creating content for the purpose of creating generational impact, fulfilling your purpose, your vision, and you're making money doing it, then it, it really is quite the fulfilling life. And so I'm curious when you coach people, whether it's people like me or anybody in their careers, and you teach them how to love your work and live your dream, where are you finding that many people are getting it wrong when they arrive to this point with you? I think there's two really big ones. The first place is that statistics prove that between two thirds and three quarters of all workers in Western society are either not fully engaged or actively disengaged. And the first thing is I write about three options. And, and my book is not just for people unhappy at work. They could be the most fulfilled people at work. And I'll get to that in just a second uh, because there could be a missing piece of the puzzle. But there's always that level of next satisfaction and pitfalls to avoid to not backslide. There are people who once were happy with their work and now aren't. But the grim statistic is that I, I write three options if you're unhappy in work. And the first one is what I call the non-option option. And that is to stay where you are and do nothing which is unfortunately what most people do. They'd rather suffer in comfort than take the risk and advance confidently and go out there and make it happen. Valid option number one is to change what you do. Option number two is to change how you feel about what you do. And both are very valid options. And there's different ways to approach each one. A lot of questions in the book, you know, for people to do their soul searching on that, which one may be the best for me. But staying where one is miserable with their vocation is not a valid option. That's just going to lead to not fulfillment. The second big thing I see in American society, especially where people I think get it wrong, are identifying too strongly with what they do for their work. And I pose two questions in the book. Number one is, what do you do? You ask 100 people that question, 99 at least will say what they do for work. Now, we kind of get a pass on that one because that sort of implies what do you do for a living. But ask 100 people, Jeff, who are you? And maybe the same 99 or more are going to say, I'm an administrative assistant. I'm a CEO. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a pastor. I'm, you know, whatever it is. And that gets such an easy pass because, you know, that's saying who I am is what I do for a living or conversely, what I do for a living is who I am. And that's, that's a big part of who we are, but that's not all. And a lot of people I think get stuck there and this is who I am but everyone has dreams outside of work. And so I think that connecting the dots metaphor, you know, with the map and the trails and all that on the book and, and talking about connect dots is the part where a lot of people miss out. You know, no matter how fulfilled you are in your career, if you're not working on those dreams you have outside of work, you know, whether that be traveling the world or helping nonprofits or whatever it may be, or having an RV and seeing all the national parks or whatever. If a person's not using that meaningful career as a vehicle to get them to their dreams, 
total self-actualization is not possible. It'll always be just a little bit short. And so, you know, if those dreams are still on the shelf gathering dust, they need to be brought down, dusted off and work on them. And then there's a lot of very pragmatic things to make sure that the vocation is a dream worthy vehicle. In other words, if I'm a forklift driver making whatever a forklift driver makes, but you know, my dream is to have a 120 foot yacht and a, and a, you know, my own pressurized twin engine airplane and whatever that forklift income is probably not going to do it. So I either need to get a bigger vehicle or downsize my dream. And I talk a lot about that in the book too, and nothing wrong with any of those things, but they must match. Otherwise the connection can never take place. So those are the two big things I see people staying stuck where they're not happy and people identifying too strongly with the, I live to work mentality rather than as much as I love my work, I work so I can live this other life outside of work. You talk about in your book, uh, how you've seen business leaders get it wrong when it comes to managing key performance indicators and having teams work to the test. So when it comes to managing key performance indicators, how do you see leaders getting it wrong with having teams work to the test, as you say? Yeah, I think the way that that goes wrong, Jeff, is too much emphasis on the worker or employee performance. This satisfaction at work and a great company culture is a two-way street. The company oftentimes is not focused enough on creating an environment that facilitates total employee and satisfaction. On the other hand, and I, th I think there's been some of this with the great resignation, we've got to be careful as an employee not to think that the grass is greener on the other side of the career fence. And if a person absolutely can't change how they feel about what they do, then resigning, good job. But that's only half the battle. Now what is the big question? You know, when you resign, you're just out of work. Now the question is, what is it going to take for you to be fulfilled in your vocation? And I think an important thing for people who may be part of that great resignation to ask is, what do I need to do differently at my next work situation to make sure I'm bringing everything that I bring to the equation? Because the employees are the ones that create the company culture. The company can write about it. But the employees are those who actually create that. So I think where the companies get it wrong is being too focused on more, 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 grow, 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 quotas, numbers. And, and you know, I know those things have to be respected. I'm a businessman. I understand that. However, I would like to see all companies, along with those performance reviews, have a um, employee satisfaction evaluation. And companies do, you, you know, there are employee satisfaction index exercises that you can go through, you know, great companies and great company leaders understand that if their employees feel great, feel fulfilled, that could be in all areas of their life, from their physical health to their work-life balance, all of that. They're going to be more productive. They're going to stay. They're going to be much more powerful, positive contributors to the company culture. So it's truly a true way street. I'm not giving the employees, you know, off the hook because um, the company cannot do it. But I think the company, many companies need to be more oriented towards the fulfillment and satisfaction, how their employees are feeling, rather than just what numbers are they hitting. I agree with that. And I think many leaders would appreciate your 
relating the self-accountability to the equation as well, right? Each individual needs to have personal ownership of their fulfillment, satisfaction, role and responsibility within the company and not just resign because they don't feel like the company is providing to them that, that sense of emotional release. Sometimes it's just a matter of managing up, of them expressing their feelings or help effectuate the change of the culture through their own influence. Because you're an executive leader, you have authority, but because you're not doesn't mean you don't have the ability to influence and use that as a force for good within the company. So I love the, the relationship to, to personal accountability that you have for all people in, in your narrative and your story and, and what you preach. Absolutely. It must be a two-way street, both bringing their very best to the equation for it to work at the highest levels. We talked a little bit about the growth mindedness that we all have uh, in our careers. And uh, you brought an interesting concept into, into the story uh, of your book where you called it the pro in place. So how does understanding this concept particularly help professionals from striving beyond their level of comfort in their leadership responsibilities and their aspirations? Well, I think this ties back to an earlier point we hit on, which is, you know, kind of caving in the societal pr- you should do and that you should climb that corporate ladder. And let's go back to that forklift driver, because I use that as an example in the book. And I've run a forklift just to know how tough they are to run. And when I see somebody running around a warehouse on a truck and going back and forth, you know, like, like uh, the forklift is just reading their mind, I have great respect for that. There's more you know, there's more to it than, and a lot of people might just say, well, that's a forklift driver. Yeah. Okay. He's good at that, but he's just a forklift driver. Not at all. That's his genius area. And if that individual loves that, and when they climb on that forklift, they're just in a zone and and somebody has to tap them on the shoulder to remind them it's break time. That person doesn't have to aspire to become warehouse manager, but society might say that, oh, well, you know, you're a forklift driver now, but if you work real hard and kind of Uh, you know, put in the hint, you might get promoted to warehouse manager. What if he hates warehouse manager, the headaches and the paperwork and all of that. And I'm like, if if a person loves driving a forklift and that's fulfilling and it produces enough income and time freedom to be the vehicle for the other parts of their life, their dream, live their dream. I think it's very important to be careful of, of thinking that you have to move up or you have to go someplace else. You know, some of my most joyful memories in my whole life were as a sheep herder, where I made $800 a month and I got a lunch at the ranch I was working on, $800 a month. Uh, Now, that was a while ago, but still, I mean, it was, you know, well below minimum wage and worked a lot of hours, but that's the way it, it is on ranches. But some of the most joyful, memorable experiences I will take with me from this life are of those days with me and the sheep and my dog and no one's around in pastures with snow-capped mountains in the distance. And nobody could tell me that I needed to move on from that. I decided I wanted maybe some more and, and got into agribusiness sales. But that is a pro in place. Someone who does what they do well, they love what they do. They do what they love, and they're satisfied with everything that allows them to do outside of work. Most people don't get that. And if you can get that by being a forklift driver, don't think that the CEO has it better than you because he may not. 
Nancy, how can listeners start working towards clarifying their vision for their career and their desired leadership path? Well, you know, um, at the risk of sounding like a sales pitch, I would say, um, I think my book, Love Your Work, Live Your Dream, is very helpful to anyone who works for a living, who wants to ensure that they have the most meaningful career possible, that they have a clear vision of what their best life is, and that they connect the dots between those two things. Um, you know, I've tried to really color the book up with a lot of stories from my life, my animals, my wilderness travel days, and a lot of the things that, you know, th that I enjoy doing as a writer with storytelling and, and so forth. And yet, it is truly a guidebook. There's a lot of actionable items. There's a lot of soul searching exercises. There's a lot of supporting thoughts that people can use to make sure that these become their reality. Uh, that's why I wrote the book. I wanted something that could help people to ensure that they're clear on the vision of their best life and they do connect the dots between those two. If there's one thing that I've ever learned about self-promotion is that it's insincere when your intent's not there, but I know that your intent, uh, you have poured your heart and soul into serving others and into your work and it's incredibly valuable. I love the book. Uh, and always love talking to you, Clancy. If people wanted to purchase that book online, learn more about you, where would you direct them? To my website, www.clancyclark.cc. And there they can learn about my work, my mission, my motives, and, uh, and learn about both books, Selling by Serving, as well as Love Your Work, Live Your Dream. And, and I've recorded both books on Audible, which I enjoyed. And I've, uh, you know, I've had some real nice compliments about people that listen to the book. It's like, Clancy, you wouldn't have wanted to get it any other way. And I've been very flattered that some people are telling me that they also want a hardcover or a hard copy of the book as a reference guide to kind of, you know, look back on as well as the audible. And yeah, that discussion in that pitch isn't about me selling books. This whole thing isn't about me, Jeff. It's about my message and the people that may be helped by it. It's about them. That's why I do this work. You know, I'm not doing this because I need the work or, or anything like that. I do it because I love it. And my motive is pure to help people. That's where I, a huge part of my fulfillment comes. And it's a good word for any leader that's out there creating content that's valuable to others and that maybe you feel weird about promoting or getting that content out there because when the motives are there, it has such an exponential impact when you can reach others. So Clancy, thank you again for your gift of time, your friendship. I have a book that I read with my kids called The Good Egg. You are a good egg, my friend. And uh, what a blessing it was to, to be with you here today. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. I mean, I could just go on all day. So thank you for having me. And uh, it's, it's truly been my pleasure, Jeff. Well, that wraps up another edition of Chat with Leaders. Thank you for investing your time with us today. If you haven't already, we would be grateful if you shared this episode with a friend and rated it on Apple or wherever you get your podcast so we can pass down the wisdom from our guests to more aspiring leaders. If you're interested in launching a professional podcast to grow your business, we would love to help. Check out chatwithleaders.com for more information and feel free to reach out by emailing team at chatwithleaders.com. Thanks again and go be a leader worth following.